Hi, beautiful beings. Welcome to the Soulful and Authentic Podcast. This is Joanne Oswald-Jones, your host, and today is episode two of season one. The task ahead is never as great as the power within. Before we get started, I must apologize because due to my excitement last week about launching the show, I completely forgot to mention that the title of The Task Ahead is Never As Great As The Power Within is for the whole of series one. So in this series, we'll have parts of my own journey and we'll be hearing from some incredible guests with their inspirational stories and how they overcame some of their biggest challenges by digging deep within and learning to believe in their own strength and their own personal power. Today, I'm going to continue on from last week's episode. So let's go for it. Let's dive straight in. Here we go. So I was sitting in my car, listening and receiving what felt like to be the most profound message of support from the divine and Katie Tunstall. I was going to be fine. It was going to be fine, but it was going to take time. And hearing those words felt like such a relief. And for a few hours that day, I remember thinking, despite the disbelief, the sadness and the panic, I could just feel this sense of determination within me. And there was like this little fire growing in my belly and that I just needed to dig deep. At this point, the girls and I had been back in the family home a little over a week. I had discovered that my ex-husband had moved on from our marriage The monthly payment plans that had been set up the week before to the various utility companies, creditors, mortgage company and our insurance companies had collapsed and my ex-husband's income had disappeared and I was being told there was no money. I'd had my first appointment with the family law firm that my friend had recommended and to this day, I'll never forget his words. He said to me, the lawyer said to me, it's going to be a bumpy ride, it'll be about 12 weeks but we'll be by your side. To be honest, all I kept thinking was how the heck was I going to pay for these legal fees? I wanted to establish some boundaries. It was really important to me and I wanted to um, find some sort of mutual respect as well as a routine for us all because aside from firefighting the financials, my priority in the first two weeks was to create a structure and a support which our daughters could trust in and rely upon so that they remained happy and stable. Um, And there was a part of me, a small part of me that desperately wanted to be rescued by him and for our marriage to work. But I realised that we were no longer important to him and that this new relationship, his new relationship, had become the precedence for him and his life. So I said to him with these new boundaries in my head on this, what I was trying to create, I said to my ex-husband, whilst, you know, given that we're under the same roof again, Um, and that he could see the girls all the time or whenever he was home, that I would be the main carer again. So as in the weekly role of taking them to school, picking them up from school, overseeing their homework, preparing the family meals, and looking after the upkeep of the family home whilst we were navigating this new territory. And also the reason for this was that my business was being built in and around the girls' schedules and with the flexibility of me earning from home whilst his business and earnings were generated outside the family home. It's so crazy because I thought that by showing a sense of logic and seemingly trying to work with him rather than against him, that perhaps he'd want to do the right thing. Little did I know he was orchestrating his plan with perfect precision. So here I was firefighting and setting up these routines and I was working as much as I could to generate more income because the debt was continually accruing in our joint accounts. 
And every time I earned a fee from a client, it seemed that something else needed paying before a court order was going to be issued or interest was then added to an outstanding amount owed or the banks would be sending more demand letters. So with each fee that was paid to me, I would portion out the money and I would try to give everybody a little of something. So for example, if I got a £60 fee from a client, I would split it and I would do um, £10 on petrol, £20 on food for the girls and I, and then the remaining £35 I would allocate to a bill or I would split to some sort of repayment or the other way around. I was just you know, trying to cover a little bit of everything. And I kept thinking to myself that if I can pay a little towards everything that needed paying, then those companies would see that I'm I'm trying to work with them. I'm, I'm not running away from any responsibility and that, that perhaps there would be no legal action or court orders. Honestly, it was, it was just relentless. And I floundered between feeling overwhelmed to then feeling super strong and um, to then feeling hopeless and becoming really frustrated with myself as more defaults landed or demands for bills would come in and that, you know, I couldn't take care of them in their entirety. Um, And I found myself thinking that it was me who was the failure and I was like a hamster on a wheel and it felt like I just wasn't allowed to take it to stop and to take a breath. Um, I had no idea that I was locked into a game being orchestrated by a narcissist. And every time I would ask him for some money for the bills or for the house or for food and the girls, I was met with the same response, which was a look of contempt. And the answer was, I'll see what I can do or there's no money. And again, I'd rise to the bait and I'd take it upon myself to sort it out. I'd work even longer hours and book appointments in my diary for after our daughters had been tucked up in bed at night so that I could try and keep our heads above water. One morning after um, opening, guess what? Yes, more demand letters. I, um, feeling frustrated and angry, I called his phone and I got an international dialing tone, which puzzled me because I thought, that's, where is he? Um, He answered and um, obviously we had a bit of a heated discussion and he said that he was in Holland with his parents visiting his cousin. Now, I knew that his cousin was terminally ill and so, of course, I believed him and I said that I was really sorry to hear this and um, hope that everything could be as well as it could be, but that I thought that we had no money and so how could he afford the trip? Um, And he said that his parents were paying and that um, for me not to call him as he would be with his parents or in the hospital and that he would call the girls of an evening to say goodnight to them and ask them about their day. Whilst he was away, I naively thought um, that there could be some hope and that perhaps this was could be could be a sort of conscious awakening for him you know something like you know when you see someone deteriorating in 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 the family and you realize that life can be so short so i was sort of hoping that you know perhaps maybe there could be this sort of awakening and that he would want to just handle this in the best way possible with full disclosure to each other, not being unkind to each other and just generally handle it in a very balanced adult way so that we could all move on and respectfully heal. When he arrived back several days later, um, I really felt for him and I, I asked, you know, how the trip was and how was his cousin and, you know, how was he feeling? And I gave him a hug and I said, you know, I'm, I'm so, so sorry to hear everything that's been going on. 
And um, we chatted for a bit. And as I went up to my bedroom that night, I thought, my gosh, maybe this is a turning point and maybe we can actually navigate this journey with um, kindness and just being balanced adults. Um, the following morning, I, while setting up for my clinic um, for work, the post arrived and there was some mail for him. And I had taken to putting his mail in the guest room because I didn't really want to be near his personal post or his belongings and mainly for the fact I didn't want to get accused of anything improper or if a piece of post went missing that I was accused in some way. So I was just very mindful. I, I guess you could say I was being vigilant. So I walked into the guest room and his case, weekend case, was on the floor and it was open. And as I was putting the mail on the bed, out of the corner of my eye, I could see a bottle of massage oil in the case. And I felt my stomach do a somersault. And I thought, no, 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 please, please, not another lie. Because why would you have a bottle of massage oil in your case? Um... I then saw his passport and his boarding card and I picked it up and what I saw was that he had been in Saint-Tropez on holiday for the week, not visiting his dying cousin um, and obviously with his with the new priority in his life. And so my heart just sunk. I mean, my heart sunk, not not so much to do with the fact that he had a new priority in his life. You know, we, we were not... Um, in a position or it was not on the agenda for, for us rekindling a relationship at this point. But my heart sunk at the the lies and the games and just the lack of any um, honesty and integrity. And the depravity of what was unfolding began to become really disconcerting. And this was mainly to do with the fact that he would just come and go with no consistency. So sometimes I wouldn't see him for days and then he'd be home for an evening or two or for a few hours or, and then at the odd weekend he'd be there. And then there were occasions as well in which he would come into the family home in the middle of the night and move things around or leave a note or he would take some mail, his mail, um, or he'd leave some goodies in the kitchen for the girls and then not be there in the morning. And it was like, it was as though a ghost had been in the house and um, moved things around and then there was no trace of him. And I, to be honest, I began to feel very uneasy and um, really quite scared too. So um, as well as my intuition, these sorts of situations that were occurring made me think that I really needed to be on top of my game and that I needed to raise my game by investing in myself and looking after myself physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually. And this is how I began to develop the six essential steps to living an inspired life, which I've written about in Becoming a Soulful Woman. Um, and intuitively, I just felt that these steps would keep me strong and they'd keep me focused. Um, and even though... Um, the level of stress that I felt was was tremendous and I didn't think I could actually handle the level of fear and the uncertainty that was going on around me. Um, I didn't want to come from a place of weakness so I continued to get super fit um, and although we had very little money for food 
Um, the girls' nutrition was my priority for sure, 100%. But I um, ate as well as I could too. So tons of fruits and veggies, antioxidants. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would also clutch onto a large glass of Mr. Merlot now and again. Um, but I trained as well. I, it's as though I was training for some sort of marathon. I kind of ran and I would swim several t- you know, miles a week. And most importantly, though, I walked. And I walked every day in nature. And each day I would walk further and further until the feelings of anger and rage and sadness and panic and the hurt and frustration had kind of run their course and my mind and my body would then become quiet and peaceful so that I could hear the inner nudges that I needed to hear and so that I could, you know, hear the messages from the the divine um, to help guide me through this situation. And actually, my walks became a real source of comfort for me. They became my inspiration. They became my work and my therapy all in one. Um, and hence, this is now one of my essential steps. And it's become, it's known as the one hour, 45 minute life plan. The power of these daily walks were just becoming so apparent um, because during these walks, I knew, I just knew I was being guided and I was being guided by my authentic self and I was being guided by the divine and I was being shown the bigger picture and shown what was really going on um, and parts of the agenda that I just hadn't been able to figure out and they were slowly starting to come to the fore of my mind and one day whilst I was out walking I felt another little message pop into my head And it was about a memory, about a conversation that my ex-husband and I had had way before we had separated. And um, to all intended purposes, we were still happy then. Um, I remember one evening he said to me that he had seen the most perfect set of commercial premises that were available to rent and that they'd be ideal for my clinic. And I said, what do you think so? I mean, (laughs) I don't think the turnover could support that yet. And um, he smiled and said, oh, yeah, we can make it work. And this, you know, when this message popped into my head, it triggered, it just triggered a whole awakening. And I suddenly thought, gosh, there's a connection here. A bigger agenda is being played out. And I could see it because it explained his reaction when we moved back into the family home. And this pattern of the continual accruing of mounting debt within our joint accounts and all our joint assets. He was fooling me, my legal team and his legal team into believing that there was no money and that he wasn't doing well and that neither were his businesses. The penny dropped for me because one of the things he would do was he would keep writing checks and using his debit card for dinners and petrol and shopping and wine merchants and cinema tickets, you name it. And it was all on the home and the bill account, putting us further into debt. And I was so desperately trying to clear this account because, of course, my name was on it too. Um, And I I remember I called the bank several times during this period and I pleaded with them and said, please, you've got to help me. You know, can you you stop honouring these payments? You know, can you bounce the payments or return the payments? And they basically said that they couldn't because the payments were guaranteed and that he was a joint account holder. And that the best way that they thought or they could recommend was for me to take his checkbook and his debit cards to those particular accounts. So um, these were the sorts of events that were occurring on a daily basis. And I felt like 
the foundations of my life and what my life had been built upon were being swept away. Um, But here's the thing. I began to understand that I had attracted this and that if I could expand and step out of blame and step out of fear and a lower level of thinking and move into what am I really being shown here? What, what, what is all this about for me that I would actually find it less painful and more empowering? And I felt like I had a, 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 a foot in both camps. So in the one camp, here I was learning a new language. I was learning a new way of being, which was to step out of the false self, the ego, um, and come from a place of trust and, and a place of knowing. So a trust within myself uh, a knowing within myself and within the divine that these experiences were happening to me to help me grow and that they would be taking me to a greater place um, and to detach from the nitty gritty. Um, the other foot was in the camp of what I call La La Land, which is this place that we live in. And um, it's a place which is often riddled with fear and drama and I was feeling how I ought to be treated and um, what would other people think. And there was this wanting um, within me to clutch onto what I thought the safety, there was a safety within the relationship, within a life that wasn't serving me. So there was a foot in both camps. On an emotional and spiritual level, I was trying to understand what the gifts were for me in this narrative. And I say gifts because actually we are all responsible for everything that happens to us in our lives. And we choose it. We choose our burdens. We choose our challenges. I know, right? You might be thinking, are you kidding me? I know I used to. I know I used to. I remember thinking, heck, did I choose this? But in all honesty, I did choose it. And I knew that it was for my highest good, um, but I didn't understand what I was being shown or what I needed to learn from it. At this point, I didn't understand what I needed to learn from it. I had glimpses, but um, the understanding and, and the gifts came later. On a physical, financial and material level, the narrative that was playing out was also happening to teach me something. But I again, I couldn't quite see what it was. Um, And this was a gift that was happening and being presented um, that I knew at some point I would um, make sense of it all. So fast forward a few months and on the day my ex-husband left the family home, the debt that had been accrued and was now my responsibility to sort out was a little over a million pounds. And we had another mountain and more bombshells to come. And this beautiful people, I think is the perfect moment to end today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you may have found it to be helpful, insightful, and to be of support. And to know that whatever challenges may be in your life right now, that you've got this, you've got all that power within you. And it's not so much about what's happening, but rather it's always about our attitude towards what's happening. And that makes all the difference. I will, of course, be sharing more of my story and what lay ahead throughout series one. And on next week's show, we have a very special guest, Mark Colburn, MBE.
Not only is Mark an impactful and inspiring motivational speaker with a difference, he is also a gold medalist Paralympic cycling champion. This man knows how to dig deep and this man knows how to find his strength within. In 2009, Mark broke his back in a near-fatal paragliding crash, which left him with lower leg paralysis, but refusing to allow this and his injuries to stop him from living an inspiring and active life, he started to cycle. And this energy and determination led him to being selected by the British cycling team for the London 2012 Olympic Games. He's authentic, he's humble, and he plays down his incredible drive and resilience. And he's gone from breaking his back to breaking records on the track, I am so looking forward to having a meaningful and inspirational conversation with Mark next week. So be sure to listen in and join us for the conversation on Friday, the 4th of February. I know you're going to love it. I know it's going to impact all of us in such a positive way. For now, beautiful people, I wish you the most wonderful weekend. Stay well and much love.